Okay, so uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how's your Friday going? Oh, great. Been a great week. I uh, found out earlier in the week we're having a little cowgirl, so put that on Twitter. And um, yeah, just it's been a great week and it's been a relaxing week too. It's a bye week, so not a lot going on this weekend. Just going to kind of spend some time with the wife and hang out. So it's been a great week. How about you? Girl dad. You're a girl dad. Girl dad. Yep. On the way. Love it. Excited, yeah, man. I'm so, so excited for you. Congratulations. Um, you. you sent me the video of the reveal <laughs> and I got to say, you know, there was some smoke coming out. I, it looked like blue smoke to me at first, and it, it turned pink. I was I was surprised. I was already chalking up to a cowboy, but I got uh, I got duped. Yeah, it was. So by the way, I went to like seven stores before I found the smoke bomb. <laughs> it was like there's a Halloween superstore over on 35 that finally had them, and then we lit it, and essentially we put it inside a pumpkin, and we lit it, and just like regular smoke started burning off first before the actual pink smoke kicked in. Well, that regular smoke from a 10 feet away iPhone camera, it just looks very light colored. So it looked kind of blue for about two seconds. And then this massive influx of pink smoke starts coming out. So we sent that video to all of our friends and family. And then whenever we posted on social media, we just took a screenshot of us standing behind the pumpkin with the pink smoke coming out. That way there was no confusion. It's like the smoke is pink. It's a girl. We're excited. That's that's funny. I, I just envision you going from store to store trying to find a, the right smoke bomb. That's hilarious. Oh, like two hours. <laughs> I drove, I went to, I was already in Yukon and I went to a couple of places in Yukon, came back to Oklahoma City and then ended up having to drive east of I-35. So it was an afternoon, but hey, when your pregnant wife wants a blue and a pink smoke bomb, you spend your entire afternoon looking for a blue and pink smoke bomb. Oh, uh, that's funny. Well, I'm happy for you, man. That's exciting. Yep. And uh, I'm sure you'll be getting the house ready for, for her arrival. And uh, that's an exciting time for you, you and the missus. So absolutely. Uh, we got an, an, an upcoming new dad on the podcast. That's exciting. So yeah, yep. uh, I wanted to before we get to the rest of the podcast, I want to kind of put a bow on, on the, the win over Kansas State. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris University Spirit. Dot com. I need to do that, Cole, because I mentioned on the show a few weeks back, like, I don't have a lot of OSU stuff, a lot of OSU gear, and I'm going to be going to some basketball games this year, so I'm definitely going to have to stop by Chris's and say hello to the fine folks over there and, and load up on some on some cowboy gear, so... I'm my, I know your closet's got plenty of orange in it. Your, your kitchen has some orange in it too. You got orange everywhere in your house. Yeah. We've got an orange accent wall in the kitchen. We also have an orange accent wall in our master uh, bedroom right behind our bed. That whole wall is orange, a uh, bunch of orange and a bunch of it came from Chris's. That was my go-to when I was growing up because we would always park. When we went to the games. We would always park out South of Chris's. There was a little lot. There, there was like some, some fire station or something. Um, and we would always park South of Chris's. So we would always go in Chris's on the way to the stadium. So that's been my spot since probably I don't, 1997 is probably when I started going to games. I don't even know. 97. That was a great year. That's when they, uh, finally got ranked with RW McCorders and went to the uh, Alamo bowl. That was a good year. Yeah, I would have been five. So I don't remember it, but I remember that I was there. Uh, we sat in the bleachers. You remember the bleachers in the West end zone of Lewis field. And I would basically my sole objective at the football games was to either talk my dad into going underneath the bleachers to play catch with me or find other kids that had a pickup game going and go play pickup football with them underneath the bleachers in the West end zone. Cause it was just, 
people who never went to Lewis Field with the bleachers, you walk in like a chain link fence, and then there's just kind of this open grassy area with a little pop-up concession stand and bathrooms and this set of bleachers. It was certainly not modern, but it was awesome for kids because we just had a big field basically in the stadium to go play in. It was great. I remember that area. My dad took me to Lewis Field for many years leading up to um, the, the Bob Simmons era. And I remember that there was always a football game going on in the West end zone. You're right. I remember I, I can see it now in my head. And we sat on the north side. We had really good seats because demand was a little lower back in those days. And I'll always remember on the old press box, which was on the opposite side, we were on the north side. Um, they had like these old school helmets on the press box with like the single bar face mask. And they had like the old black helmet on one side and then and then the current white helmet that they were wearing back in the day with the old school OSU brand. And I remember just this is how I, how into uniforms I was at a very young age. I just kept, all I would do is look up at that black helmet. Like, why don't they wear those? Those are so much cooler than these white helmets they're wearing. And I was just a little kid, Yep. but I think one of the first few years I went was when they went O and 12 or O and 10, whatever that O the, the winless season. Uh, or Pat Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't even remember what year that was. 93, I think O 10 and one, something like that. And they wore the all black, they wore the black jerseys and the black pants with the white helmet back in those days too, but which was kind of cool, but. Anyway, so that that's a uh, stroll down Lewis Field Lane. But uh, 1991, 010-1. Yeah, I think that was like one of the first years I started going was like 91. So I would have been like seven years old then. So, oh, she's come a long ways and uh, they are undefeated. And I wanted to kind of put a bow on the, the Kansas State win, Colby. We didn't get to bullets and BBs or the uniform review from last week. So let's do some uh, some bullets and BBs. What do you got for a bullet? A uh, bullet from last week. I mean, Carson... How does it not go to Jim Knowles' defense and specifically Colin Oliver, who comes out in his first start as a true freshman, six tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks. I believe I saw earlier in the week where he was uh, one, there's like a true freshman of the week award that he won for the entire country last season for what he did for that Oklahoma State defense. So uh, big shout out to Colin Oliver. He gets my bullet for what was just an unbelievable performance. Dude, he's a stud. Like we can talk a lot about some of the, the the more upperclassmen defensive players on this team, but man, Oliver is just flying off the screen when you watch OSU. And I tried, you know, you got, you nailed the Tay Martin prediction in the preseason being the number one receiver, which I had Presley and that's not going that all that well, but I did say that I thought Oliver would be kind of the, one of the newcomers of the year. Uh, he's just been sensational getting after the quarterback and just, when you have guys like that at your disposal, even when you lose a trace forward, it it really helps Jim Knowles dial up that pressure on third down and get him off the field. He's been sensational going after the quarterback. Yeah, he's been so good. I just want to know what are they feeding these pass these pass rushers at Edmond Santa Fe? Because I don't know, every time OSU gets a pass rusher out of Santa Fe, that kid is ready to go day one. Trace four. I mean, even Calvin Bundage when he was younger, I think he was Santa Fe too. Colin Oliver, all three of those guys, Santa Fe, right? I'm not, I'm not mistaken there. I'm pretty sure. Who was it again? Oliver, Ford, and uh, who? Oliver, Ford, and Bundage, I think we're all saying. Yep. Yep. They got the they pipeline got going. Yeah, it's crazy. And they got the twins, the Shetron twins coming in too. So that pipeline's still open. Yeah, Shetron twins, by the way, sat a couple rows in front of me. What game was that? A couple of weeks ago. 
Who'd Oklahoma State play recently? I'm, I'm totally lost. Kansas State. Kansas State gave Shetron Twins. We're sitting a couple rows down in front of me. Um, Wait, I, I've been referring to last week's game as the Kansas State game this entire podcast. I just realized. I'm, I, just I mean, realized I mean it, Baylor. <laughs> it's a bye week for our brains, too. It's a bye week for our brains. Yeah, they played Baylor last week. Uh, yeah. But, I'm glad you said that or else I would have just kept going. <laughs> the worst part is, I mean, I'm sitting here doing the pod, too. Didn't even register for me. Didn't even register for me that you uh, that you threw out Kansas State. They're kind of uh, the same program, aren't they? They're both kind of boring on offense. They play a decent amount of defense. They're kind of the same. If they wore the same colors, we would never tell them apart because yeah. they are equally as exciting as football programs at the moment. So, uh, yeah, but Shetron Twins look good. So, Edmund Santa Fe just keep making the drive down 35 and recruiting there. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm going to stick with defense as well for my bullet. I'm going with Malcolm Rodriguez, who we've had plenty of praise on this show for, with that, obviously well-deserved. And now it appears you know, he's got 333 tackles. He's seventh all-time at Oklahoma State. I believe he's still top 10 in the country in terms of tackles. And OSU put out a kind of a Photoshop graphic of Rodriguez as the gladiator and, and tweeted out, are you not entertained? So it appears to me that, you know, he, he needs to be on the Butkus shortlist as it stands currently with the way he's playing this year, the way the OSU defense as a whole is playing. Because let's face it, Colby, a lot of the individual awards are going to come down to how the defense plays as a whole. That's just kind of how it goes. And, you know, OSU's done such a great job with their campaigns for the Bolitnikoff Awards that they've won. The, the Canadian Cowboy Chuba Hubbard campaign was awesome. It appears they're they're ramping up for a uh, Malcolm Rodriguez uh, Butkus Butkus campaign, and, and it's certainly well deserved. I, I got to go with him. Yeah, absolutely. The graphic that they put out, the Gladiator graphic, was pretty awesome. Uh, the graphics team at Oklahoma State does a great job putting all that stuff out. But it, it's one of those things where when you have a guy at Oklahoma State who very much should be in the running for that award, I mean, it takes a lot of promotion and it takes a lot to get eyeballs nationally on that guy. I mean, a bunch of people who vote for this award, East Coast, West Coast, they don't know who Malcolm Rodriguez is. Malcolm Rodriguez plays defense for Oklahoma State, and those people don't associate Oklahoma State with defense. Now, they should. It, it's long past time that, that that happens after what we've seen the last two years at Oklahoma State, but that award always goes to Alabama or Georgia or somebody like that, and I'm sure that there's guys on both of those defenses that are very deserving of that award as well. Those guys just don't take as much promotion because people look at those teams and they scan those rosters to look for guys to vote for for the defensive awards. In Stillwater, it's a little different, but Malcolm, Rod Rod Malcolm Rodriguez is very deserving of being in the running, so I hope that they continue to promote him all they can and get his name out there so people nationally realize Oklahoma State has got a legit Big 12 defense, and Malcolm Rodriguez is kind of the anchor in the middle of it that allows it all to work. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, if it comes down to just pure stats, you know, there's, there's nobody from those programs you mentioned. There's no Alabamas in front of him. There's no Georgias. I mean, the leading tacklers ahead of him are from Memphis, Boise State, Colorado. There is an LSU, but LSU season's already in the tank. There's a Notre Dame linebacker, but they've lost two. So it's not – you're right. Normally it's just going to be the, the biggest name on one of those defenses. But if they go by pure stats, I think, I think Rodriguez is going to have a shot to be a finalist for the award. So – He's having a great year and hopefully he can stay healthy through the, the remaining remainder of his career because he's had a, an amazing career and he's he's going out on a high note so far through through five games. What's your BB? Uh, yeah, Carson, I mean, my BB, you hate to do it, but 
quarterback gets too much credit when you lose too much blame when you know they still won but uh things things go wrong i think i messed up that saying if our brains really are on by today um it's early too we normally record a little later in the in the the morning it's it's early for us too gosh i don't know what's going i I think i just said that the quarterback gets too much credit when you lose and that's obviously not the uh the expression so spencer sanders three interceptions two of which were his fault it's just I, i was talking to a guy about this yesterday seems like once or twice a year spencer has a game where he has three plus turnovers now typically Oklahoma State loses those games. So maybe you get away with it this year because he threw three picks. You won the game. You won the game by double digits, losing the turnover battle by three. That's hard to do. So hopefully he got that out of his system and it fell at a good time going into a bye week where him, Coach Retay can go in because, you know, sometimes those mistakes just pop up and then you have to go work on them. So maybe it was good timing with it all. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, Oklahoma State definitely won against Baylor on Saturday night in spite of the fact that they turned the ball over three times. Uh, two of the three were on Spencer. So uh, he's going to have to get my BB this week. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I, I don't think there's a greater advertisement for the OSU defense than the three turnovers, two of which came in, you know, near their 30-yard line, OSU's own 30-yard line, and they still win by double digits. Like, there's no greater advertisement for how good OSU's been defensively. And, and Sanders had been better at it, Colby. You know, the, the, the two games prior was the first time in his career he'd gone back-to-back games without interception. That's that's just shows you how many interceptions he's had in his career. And he's also had plenty of fumbles as well. And I believe I tweeted out the stat. I'm going to look it up just to make sure. I believe he's had 22 or 23 interceptions in 24 games. That's that's almost unfathomable. So, yeah, 23 interceptions in 24 games. That's that's just too much. And that's, that's going to get OSU beat at some point this season. There, there's no doubt about it. So. Uh, my BB is is a longtime member of the BB club, and that's the Big 12 refs. You know, I went back and watched this because I, I, I couldn't believe what, what had happened at the end of the game on the fourth down and two. So Baylor's got 12 guys on the field. Gundy knows it. He's over there doing like the, the run the clock motion with his arms saying snap the ball, snap the ball. The refs won't let him snap the ball. And they give they let Baylor call timeout with 12 men on the field. But Gundy loses his mind, rightfully so. So that happens. And then coming out of that timeout, the, there's a, the side judge is standing behind OSU center until there's five seconds left on the play clock coming out of that timeout. So Sanders just standing there waiting to snap the ball till the ref moves out of the way. He moves out of the way with five seconds to go. And then Sanders, I guess, didn't realize they had been running the play clock. So he's just kind of standing there. Gundy has to call timeout again. Because they only had five seconds to decide what to or to, to decipher the Baylor defense and run their play. Like, I don't understand what they were doing. Like, Gundy at that point just goes bananas, just as mad as I've seen him in a while. Just like, what the hell are they doing? Like, I don't understand why the official was allowed to stand there and run the clock down to five seconds. But the, the officials were a total clown show. They did everything they could. So, so Baylor gets to stand there twice and, and look at OSU's formation decipher what they're going to do offensively they really the referees put osu in the worst possible position and it didn't matter because godlevsky just pushes his guy back on the center position and Jalen warren did his thing and they ended up scoring a touchdown anyway but the referees tried to hose osu in that scenario 
It was weird. I was watching it on mute on my phone. So I didn't have the, the luxury of the commentary for them to explain what was going on. I was at my wife's high school reunion. We were all huddled around watching it. And I'm trying to figure out why Oklahoma State is being held up from snapping the ball when there were no substitutions. It was coming out of a timeout. I thought it would have been 12 men on Baylor. Uh, and it was not, mind you, a fourth and goal. It was a fourth and two from the four. So a penalty on Baylor would have advanced the ball two yards, half the distance to the goal, would have resulted in a first down. Oklahoma State would have taken a knee, and the game would have been over right there. But that's not how it played out. Uh, Oklahoma State ends up scoring, which is great. But you're right. It was a very weird sequence where I couldn't figure out exactly what the refs were doing in holding the snap of the ball because, I mean, it was out of a timeout. I, I, it did not make any sense to me whatsoever. And uh, we see that from time to time. What was it last week in the OUK State game? There was one of those where there was like a fourth and a yard, or maybe it was the Texas TCU game, I think, that I was watching Saturday morning. Fourth and a yard for Texas or TCU, and they're lined up. The officials holding the snap, shouldn't be holding the snap. The offense didn't substitute. It was just, it was a complete mess, uh, and they get that stuff wrong fairly regularly. Uh, look, I, I umpired baseball for several years. I know it's hard in a live game to make the right call every time, but there's some obvious stuff that they get, just get wrong from time to time. And we're all just left sitting there thinking what exactly was going through your head there? Because we all saw what was going on. And for some reason you couldn't figure it out. So, uh, luckily it didn't cost Oklahoma state because God and, and Jalen Warren just went beast mode. Yeah. It, it was a clown show and I, I, I had to go back and watch it and just, I would, it's on YouTube. If people want to go see Gundy just goes crazy and he should, it was just a total mess, but it ultimately didn't matter because OSU punched it in. So uh, let's talk more about the defense Colby. They're putting up historic numbers through this, through five games. We've given plenty of praise to Jim Knowles and his defense and they've been sensational. And Kyle Cox wrote an article on pistols firing. People should check it out. The Cowboys are on pace for historic numbers. But it is still early. I mean, again, they've played Baylor and Kansas State, who we mentioned are mirror images of each other in terms of being pedestrian offenses. But OSU, their scoring defense, they're giving up third downs. Twenty, Their third down percentage is 22 of 74, which is just 29.7%. Previous year was 27. Previous years before that was 39, 38, 39, 39, 42, 41, if that gives you any indication. Almost, you know, almost cutting that number in half, essentially, or close to it. And they're only giving up 18.6 points per game. Their scoring defense is, is through the roof. But for me, Colby, the, the best number here, and this is a number that Kyle Porter was huge on, is points per drive. Because back in 2011, they forced a ton of turnovers, and their third team defense would give up a lot of points in the latter stages of the game. But the points per drive stat really tells you how good a defense is in terms of holding teams, getting off the field. And this year, they're 1.29, which is their best mark since their best defense statistically, which was the 2013 defense. They ranked sixth in the country that year in points per drive at 1.31. So this year, they're, they're actually their points per drive number is lower, but they're, they rank a little higher, 13th in the country. But that's a great indicator, Colby, of, and it really just kind of paints the picture how dominant this defense has been. Yeah, these stats were really fun to look at because it kind of gives you some context on some of these defenses we've seen at Oklahoma State. First off, I just you knew that Oklahoma State led the country in turnovers in 2011. You knew they were four short of the record, but to actually see 3.4 turnovers per game that 2011 defense <laughs> forced, which 
The idea of forcing three turnovers in a game is just silly. The idea of forcing three and a half, which means six games you forced four, six games you forced three, that's just a ridiculously high number of turnovers. Uh, but this year's team, yards per game, uh, lowest of any year, except it looks like 2009 and maybe 2006 as well. Uh, Oklahoma State gave up fewer yards per game, but turnovers – could probably use a little bit more 1.2 turnovers per game uh, as one of the lowest of the Gundy era. The only two that were lower were 2018 and 2014. So you'd like to see some more turnovers for us. But the third down defense, Carson, I mean, that's where Jim Knowles thrives because Jim Knowles on third down, he is so aggressive, but it's not, it's not just a zero blitz every time on third down. It's it's a corner blitz in the first quarter. It's a linebacker coming down in the second quarter. It's a safety in the third quarter. It's a zero blitz in the fourth quarter. It is so creative what he does on third down. It just, it's a nightmare for opposing offenses. Even, even against scrambling quarterbacks, this defense has been pretty good on third down because they just bring so many guys. They make the quarterback so uncomfortable. He feels like he either needs to get rid of the ball in a second and a half or take off running to a lane that just isn't there. So the third down defense is what stands out to me because, I mean, that's where you're able to get to the sideline, get, get a breather, get some oxygen, get some water, and send your offense back out there and rest. Have some fun. Watch your offense go score points. So uh, the third down defense the last two years has been mind-blowingly great at Oklahoma State. Yep, it's, it's been sensational. And, and really, in 2021 football, Cole, I mean, getting off the field on third down is a turnover. I mean, if you punt in 2021, although the offenses are down nationwide, that still holds true. I mean, just with the way – offenses have been over the last decade just getting a punt's a turnover so those are some great numbers people should check that out uh, on the other side of the football Dustin Ragusa did his his weekly offensive breakdown it's just great stuff if you're subscribing to PFB plus you're getting some great insight here from from Dustin Ragusa who really just dives deep into the personnel groupings the types of plays they run on offense what's working versus what's not and, and overall he was he was fine with the offensive um, game plan. But one thing that stuck out to me in his article, Colby, was they didn't throw one wide receiver screen the entire game. And they were having Spencer Sanders kind of pump fake a, a lot on, on wide receiver screens and then go for a deep shot. And I think that illustrates kind of what you and I have talked about throughout the year where don't you have to throw one or two to even attempt the pump fake? It just seems like Casey Dunn and the staff while they've done better the last couple of weeks, we want to give them credit for that. It doesn't feel like they set up things properly. You got to set the table for certain calls. And to me, that's, that's, that's game flow. That's, that's game planning. And that's just setting the table. And that's something that stood out to me in his breakdown. Yeah. In order to make the defense think that you're actually going to do something when you fake it, it needs to be something that they might actually think you're going to do. Say so I was watching an NFL game a couple of weeks ago. It was fourth quarter, it was late in the game, and, and a team ran play action on like fourth and 18. And, and I'm like, good, good one, good one. You got the safeties and the linebackers to bite on fourth and 18 on your play action fake. Why is that even in your playbook on that down? It makes no sense why that would be play action there. It makes no sense how you think that you can – get guys to bite on pump fakes uh, on screens whenever you, you just don't run it. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't think that the Oklahoma State offense did a very good job of making Baylor guess a week ago. I thought that it was very standard. It was either handed to Warren or Spencer would drop back, hopefully have three seconds to let something develop and then kind of air it out, uh, you know, over the middle of the field or up the sideline. And I just thought it was a, a much more – 
vanilla plan than what we saw against Kansas State. I really, really loved what they did first half against Kansas State. It was bubble screens to Jalen Warren, catching the defense in blitzes. It was quick screens on the edge to Tay Martin, get the ball in your best player's hands and let him work. It, uh, you know, you need to do some more of that stuff with Brennan Presley, some more misdirection type stuff. Also, I don't know how much attention you pay to this, but Oklahoma State very rarely uses um, motion in the run game, you know, getting somebody, bringing somebody across, bringing Presley across, maybe holding a linebacker for half a second, something like that. I was watching Thursday night football and this popped into my head because last night I was watching the Rams on Thursday night football. And it seems like every time the Rams would turn around and hand the ball off, what would happen immediately before Robert Woods comes in motion on every single run play because Sean McVay knows Sean McVay, one of the best offensive minds at any level of football knows that bringing a guy in motion and just handing it to him occasionally one or two times a game, it does just enough to make the defense think about him as he comes across. So that's something that I wouldn't hate seeing more of too. Uh, I'll be really, really curious to see what the offensive game plan is against Texas after the bye week, because now you have a five week sample size where you can go back in for two weeks, look at everything you've done, see what's worked, see what hasn't, and then implement a plan for the rest of the season. So I'll be really curious to see what the plan is against Texas. No, that's a great point about the motion. I, I feel like Dustin Ragusa's breakdown of the Boise state game. They used a lot of that against Boise but they haven't really done it since. So that's a, that's a great way to open up some running lanes. And yeah, just, it makes the defense hesitate, think for a second. And and that's something that Lincoln Riley's just, he's gone away from too. Back when the, they had Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, they had Marquise Brown just doing motion all the way across the field on almost every play. And that's, that's something I, I would like to see as well. And to your point about the predictability, the, the, when they run 10 personnel, they they passed it seven times and ran it twice when they were in 11 personnel they ran it 41 times and passed it 15 times so if they go true spread with 10 personnel they're going to pass it and if they go 11 personnel you can guarantee it they're going to run it because 11 12 and 13 personnel they essentially ran the ball let's see here 54 times to 15 passes so unless they're in just a true four or five wide set they're they're pretty predictable in that they're going to run the football now i know they they ran it way more than they threw it so that's that's not you know that's no brain buster there it just to me colby i'd like to see them mix it up a little more with their formations in terms of whether they're going to pass it or not i would love to see them start passing it in some 12 and 13 personnel because it's clear when they have a cowboy back or two on the field there's like a 90 percent chance they're going to run the football and to me that's just too predictable yeah, and, you know, it's it's easy for us to sit here and pick apart the, the play calling and not using motion and stuff like that. And I have no doubt that Casey Dunn has forgotten more about football and, and X's and O's than I will ever know. But there are things that we can all see whenever we watch games. Uh, you know, you can sit on the couch and you can pretty accurately predict what's coming. And if you can sit on the couch and pretty accurate, accurately predict what's coming, I'm betting the guy that gets paid 750000 to a million on the other side to stop you can probably see what's coming too because he's been studying you all week every day hours and hours of film and you know we all watch a ton of football I watch I, I really I couldn't even tell you I probably watch 30 hours of football a week would be my guess you you know good offenses when you see them you see what they do well you see what they do poorly you see what they do to keep the defense off balance and so many times over the last couple of seasons I've walked away from Oklahoma State games and I've thought 
man, that was really predictable. The, the defense looked very comfortable, like they knew what was coming, like they were comfortable in their formations, that they would be able to line up and stop Oklahoma State, and they did. So I, I know there's going to be somebody out there tweeting, oh, you think you can do a better job? Uh, probably not. I, I've never been an offensive coordinator. Probably not. But I watch a lot of football. I know what looks good. I know what looks bad. And I also can look at the stats from Oklahoma State's offense over the last 15 years and see that the offenses the last couple of seasons have been amongst the poorest performing in Mike Gundy's tenure. So, uh, again, five games in, a lot of season left. Uh, Right now, I think we've really seen this year one really good half of football from the Oklahoma State offense. First half against Kansas State was really good. That is the only half in five games of football that I would qualify as a really good half of offensive football. So you're going to need more of that in the second half of the season because asking your defense to hold everyone in this conference to 14 points, probably unrealistic, even as good as they are. So hopefully we see more output from the offense in the second half of the season. Yep. They're going to need to because they're, they're five and zero, oh, and we're, you know, we're five weeks in. Can you believe we're five weeks into the season already, Colby? This just goes no. by way too fast. Football season is it's the fastest moving period of the year because, and especially for those who are both college and NFL junkies like myself, because you start your week on Monday, you've got a game Monday night, two days off, you get a breath Thursday night, football, Friday night. Sometimes you're at a high school game, Saturday's college football all day long. Sunday is NFL all day long. There's a London game this week. So I'll be watching football from eight 30 in the morning until 11 at night. It's just, it's all football and it's boom, 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 boom. And then it's gone. It's over. And we sit around to do nothing for eight months. It's crazy. It's the fastest season and the longest off season, which I just, I hate. But in the Big 12 standings, Colby, there's there's some separation starting with, between Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. They're the only uh, unbeatens remaining in the league. And we'll, we'll talk OU Texas at the end of the show because that's a huge game in terms of the Big 12 race. But OSU gets a bye week, Colby, and then they go to Austin. And I think the next two weeks between playing on the road in Austin and, and Ames, you know, that's going to decide whether Oklahoma State gets to Jerry World. They win in Austin. I think they got a really – strong, strong probability of making it to Jerry world. Yeah, I think so too, because Iowa state's not looking like uh, maybe the juggernaut we thought they were going to be coming into the season. It just seems like for whatever reason. And what's interesting is a lot of the conversations that we have about Spencer Sanders, I would imagine folks in Ames have a lot of the same conversations about Brock Purdy, who we've all seen can be immensely talented, but a few times a year, he just has a game where he throws three picks, and it just is ugly. I mean, look at the game he names a couple of years ago where Malcolm Rodriguez has the pick six in the fourth quarter, one of three fourth-quarter interceptions from Brock Purdy, and he does that once or twice a season. So, uh, you know, Brock Purdy had all these expectations that I don't think he's quite lived up to yet. The, the loss to Baylor for Iowa State is such a bad loss. I just – I do not think Baylor is a good football team at all. I mean, Oklahoma State lost the turnover battle by three, still won the game by double digits. Uh, Texas – though, is in a very realistic scenario where they could go back-to-back losses, find themselves one and two in conference, and climbing uphill to make it to the conference title game. Uh, I do think OU beats them tomorrow, and I think OSU has a good chance next week. I, I talked about it earlier in the week. I love the spot Oklahoma State is in, catching Texas, coming off back-to-back games against TCU and Oklahoma, and you're coming off a bye week. I think that that is a, a great spot in the schedule. And then it just comes down to whether you can win a couple of games that you should win, 
but they get quirky sometimes. Tech has been really successful against Oklahoma State in the last five, six years. Uh, West Virginia, not so much, but they're a decent team. We saw they competed with OU. They've got a good defensive front. So uh, as long as you can get through Texas, then there will be a few games that you should win, and you just need to take care of business. TCU is another one. So uh, the Texas game is a big one because they lose that. Now all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, how good really is this team? But if they win that, then now it's like, okay, go take care of business, get to Jerry's world, and let's see what this defense can do. So I'm I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic for the second half of the season. Yep, I'm with you. And looking at some of the standings and the stats, it's it's kind of amazing that OSU's undefeated considering their their points per game on offense ranks ninth out of the ten teams in in the conference. They're just ahead of Kansas, and they're behind the likes of Kansas State, West Virginia, Iowa State, TCU, up to Tech, Baylor, Oklahoma, and Texas. So it's they're winning despite their offense, which is what we've talked about a lot this episode. So I, I do think the potential is there, though. We've seen it with Spencer at times this year, the Kansas State game, notably how well he played. If he's able to have games like that combined with this defense, and again, this, this defense is going to face a lot of tougher tests, as great as they've been. Texas seems to have figured things out with, with Casey Thompson. That is going to be a tough game for the defense in Austin. And certainly when you play Oklahoma and teams like teams like that, the, we're going to learn a lot more about the, the defense as well. But it really is kind of amazing, Colby, with how poorly the offense has played. They're, they're undefeated. It's uh, It's been a wild season so far. It has. Hopefully they can keep it rolling. Just, hey, by whatever means necessary. If it's 24-14, great. Uh, if you need your offense to score 38, better get after it. Whatever means necessary, go out and win. Uh, let's shift gears here before we talk about you, Texas, Mike Boynton, uh, met with the media. He had, a, he had a lot to say, uh, some interesting things here about homecoming. He said they're, um, let's see here. He said, he says, quote, we're actually working on a pretty cool homecoming weekend event. That we think is going to be pretty special here on campus, Friday night of homecoming. It won't be here in the arena, but the details are still coming together on it. So hopefully you guys will be hearing something more about it in the next couple of days. I wonder what he has in store. Are they gonna like where would they where would they go? They're gonna go to like the old like the old Colvin Center, or I don't understand. I don't know what they're gonna be doing. Yeah, I this sounds. I have no idea what they're gonna be doing. Maybe they're going to uh, roll out some wood planks into the middle of Boone Pickens Stadium and play a pickup game oh. in the middle of Boone Pickens Stadium Saturday. I have no idea. That just, would be cool. That would be cool. I'm just guessing, like everybody else is guessing. Uh, I have no idea, but I can't wait because. Uh, been seeing all these guys at the football game, some of the new guys, most of say, gosh, he's huge. Um, and he talked a little bit about actually how that's going to impact Matthew Alexander Moncrief this year, maybe playing a little more on the perimeter, more of a, a stretch four, maybe. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fired up for basketball season. Boynton has it rolling and just kind of the little, little subtle homecoming tease in there. I thought was fun because was that three weeks away now, I think. So be here before we know it. It will. And we're still waiting on word from the NCAA sanctions that, that went down. And Mike seems to be at a total loss. He says, I feel bad to be honest. There's not an update. It's unfathomable to me that it's been way too long. I wish there was uh, an update. He says, honestly, I don't know at this point what it is anymore. Like, so <laughs> he said, I don't want to say, let's see here. I'm really not sure how much the team thinks about this at all, though. It'd be pro it would be probably, I don't want to say criminal, that might be a little too harsh, but it would be pretty difficult to justify a bad ruling at this point, considering all we've been through. Isn't this just astonishing, Colby? I, I, it, I, I'm at a loss too. 
It would be criminal. It would be criminal, and I don't know that that's a strong enough word, and I know Mike Boynton can't say that because Mike Boynton's the head coach of Oklahoma State basketball, but I can say it. It's a joke. The NCAA is a joke. Whoever the decision makers are are jokes. They are clowns walking, walking around with face paint and wigs on. They, they, the NCAA is so ridiculous. I don't know if it's if, – if they're just power hungry, if, if they enjoy this if they enjoy making programs squirm over very minor things. And we've seen this handled with other programs around the country. We've seen this handled so many times and nobody has gotten the punishment that Oklahoma state has gotten. And yet 15 months later, 16, 17 months later, whatever it is, we still can't rule on the Oklahoma state appeal. Are you kidding me? It's a joke. It's a disaster. I, I've stopped thinking about it. Whenever it happens, it happens. If they uphold it, we'll we'll lose our minds. If they get rid of it, we'll say finally. But it's just make a decision. I mean, are we really going to go through two full basketball seasons before we get a decision? That's insanity. I just give them the finger and not do anything they say sanction wise at this point. Said, nah, yeah. sorry, we're not doing any of that. You can, yeah. You want to try to vacate wins and and pretend like you have that power? Whatever. Screw you. That's what I'd tell him if I was Mike yeah. Boynton. So yeah, should have just told him what Kansas did. Kansas gave him two middle fingers from the start. Yeah, that's what they should have done. But um, we'll have to just wait and see, I guess. Uh, all right, OU Texas, Colby. I mean, I know we're an OSU podcast, and people probably get upset anytime we talk Oklahoma. But this is a massive game in terms of the Big Twelve title race, and Texas to me appears better than they've been in the past. I just I still don't know if they're quite on OU's level. Uh, OU's a three and a half point favorite. Who are you going with in this game? Yeah, I've been watching the line all week to see how much has been fluctuating. I'm still got OU minus three and a half. I like OU to win. I like OU to cover. I think uh, Texas is fine. Texas, it, it's weird. They start the season with the wrong quarterback. They get their doors blown off by Arkansas. They switch to Casey Thompson. They put 70 on Tech. Everyone loses their minds because they put 70 on Tech. Then they play a very close game with TCU, in which Bishon Robinson touches the ball, I think 35 or somewhere in that neighborhood times. I don't know, man. I just, for whatever reason, I don't have the best feeling about Texas going into this weekend's game. OU has snuck by a couple of times. Uh, I think that they are learning some things about their offense. I think Spencer Rattler is playing better. I think he played very well last week against Kansas State. Kennedy Brooks is running the ball well. Uh, I've got OU 37, Texas 30. Ooh, a lot of points. Yeah, not quite as many as in some years past, but yeah, 37-30 is a, a decent number of points. I, I do think Texas will be able to score some, but, I mean, OU, when they want to score, uh, look, it's not the Kyler offense. It's not the Baker offense. It's still going to be pretty good. So, 37-30. Yeah, I don't have any confidence in Texas's defense, really. And I, I know OU's offense has struggled at times this year with Spencer Rattler, but I just I feel like they kind of figured some things out at Kansas State and – I just don't trust Texas' defense. Now, having said that, Texas has been so bad coming into this game for pretty much a decade. I mean, the latter half of Mac Brown's tenure, one of his his worst team in 2013 went down there with Case McCoy and, and, and won that game. Charlie Strong was a dead man walking, beat Baker Mayfield in 2015. I mean, I, we did the pregame show on Channel 5 for that game, and I was, I was dogging Texas for a literal hour saying how bad they were, and they somehow won that game. That's one of the more maddening results I've ever seen in my life, how Charlie Strong and them beat, beat you know, Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan, and Baker Mayfield that year. 
Tom Herman went in there with Dicker the kicker and a Sam Ellinger team that lost a couple games and, and won that game. And, and even though Oklahoma's won nine out of 12, I believe it is, they've been eking out games against bad Texas teams. And I don't think Texas is quote-unquote bad this year. Do I, do I think they're great? No. But I don't think they're they're as bad as they've been in years past. So I think Texas can win this game. I think B. John Robinson will be the best player on the field. I think he's one of the best running backs in the country. And OU just hasn't been impressive this year. They've won all their games against FBS competition by, by single digits. And, you know, that's that's not a great Nebraska team that they eked out. Tulane's one and five. They eked out a win against them. I want to pick Texas in this game with how poorly OU's played. I do. I just can't do it in this game. I just think the cream ultimately rises to the top in this game. As bad as OU's played against some terrible Texas teams, I'm picking OU, and I think they cover as well. I've got them winning. I think it's going to be a little lower scoring, even though the offenses are, you know, the defenses haven't played that well. I'll go 28-21 Oklahoma. I think it's kind of a back-and-forth game, but Oklahoma ultimately covers. Yeah, I'll say this. Um, I mean, I, I don't really particularly have uh, a ton of love for Oklahoma or Texas when it comes to football. I'll probably, uh, if it's tied, they're going to know, I'll probably pull for Texas because down the stretch of the season, um, I think Texas will have more chances to lose more games than Oklahoma will. Uh, so, I mean, for me, it's all about how it impacts Oklahoma State. I want whatever's best for Oklahoma State to happen, and that would probably be Texas winning that game against Oklahoma because then maybe Oklahoma gets a second loss, and if, if Oklahoma State were to make it to Jerry's world, maybe they wouldn't have to face Oklahoma a second time because we know that that's just – it's been a, a mental block for Oklahoma State and for Mike Gundy uh, for the better part of 16 years. So uh, I'll probably be pulling for Texas for Oklahoma State's benefit, but that's just a fun game to watch every year. And, I, you know, I think I said this on Monday, if Oklahoma State's going to be on bye – I'm good with it being on OU Texas week because wake up, watch a little Formula One, lead that right into uh, OU Texas. That makes for a good Saturday. Oh, and then in the afternoon, fire up a little Shriners Children's Open action where Taylor Gooch and Matthew Wolf, former Oklahoma State Cowboys, both shot seven under yesterday in the first round. So go Pokes. Oh, nice. I didn't realize Wolf did. I knew I knew Gooch had a good day. Yep. But uh, that's up? good for that's good for Matt Wolf. So. It's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, shameless plug. The OU Texas game is on KOC 5 We're going to have the pregame show starting at 10 a.m. So flip over there if you want to see us. What We're going to have Brandon Whedon on the show as well. So we'll talk plenty of Oklahoma State too. So tune in 10 o'clock on KOC 5 Colby, enjoy your weekend. We'll catch up with you next week. Absolutely, everybody. Have a great weekend. Go Pokes.